Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with a doctor about heart health. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Clay Gordon presents information about the ongoing redistricting problems in Ohio. An interview with the National Teacher of the Year. He's from Oberlin. And a growing problem of guns being stolen from cars in Columbus. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. We'll talk about boundaries, what's healthy and what's not, including boundaries between therapists and their clients. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Dr. David Goff. He's the Director of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, part of the National Institutes of Health. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Hope you are, too. Doing well. Thanks for talking to us. You know, there have been amazing advances in heart health and science, and yet it remains the number one killer. Uh, That's right. Unfortunately, heart disease is the leading cause of death in our country, uh, as well as the whole planet, and in almost every state, including Ohio. Associated with that is high blood pressure, hypertension. How prevalent of a problem is that in Ohio and, and around the country? Oh, well, high blood pressure is very common. You know, upwards of a third of adults uh, in our country have high blood pressure. And while we had several decades, really, of improving the treatment and control of high blood pressure, we've seen recent uh, stagnation uh, in that uh, we haven't seen any improvements over the last several years in, in blood pressure control. In fact, we've gone a little backwards. We've seen blood pressures go up. Uh, during the pandemic, and we've seen control of blood pressure uh, get worse uh, during the pandemic. So it's a major concern uh, for all of us, really, across the country, and including in Ohio. I know it becomes more likely as you get older towards senior citizen age, but what is it that people are doing that's causing their blood pressure to be high? Oh, yeah, well, you know, blood pressure does tend to go up with age in the United States and in many other countries and what we've learned over the years is that there are several things that seem to be causing that the blood pressure to go up. Um, one is a high salt diet. That's probably the most important one. Uh, weight gain and, and being overweight or obese um, the, and not getting enough physical activity uh, and then also drinking more alcohol than is um, really healthy. Uh, those things tend to make blood pressure go up with age. And if you're able to uh, maintain a healthier diet with less salt, less fatty, animal, uh, less fatty meat, meats and more uh, vegetables and fruits and whole grains, if you're able to stay leaner and be more active and minimize alcohol intake, you can keep your blood pressure in good shape as you get older and not need medication. Um, but that's uh, a lot of us don't do that, and so we end up needing blood pressure medication as we get a little older. For somebody who may be overweight or obese with high blood pressure, I guess getting into a, a daily routine of exercise and weight loss, just those two things in themselves can automatically make a significant reduction in blood pressure, right? Yeah, I think it's really important to include diet in that as well, that changing the diet to lower sodium, more vegetables and fruits, more whole grains, um, less uh, fatty meats, less uh, less salt. That's really important in addition to getting more activity. 
uh, and trying to lose weight. It's, it's actually somewhat hard to lose weight by increasing your physical activity alone because we tend to overeat uh, the activity and, and keep the weight high. So it's important to focus on both the, the diet and the activity to get the weight down and also to get the blood pressure down. It seems like we're hearing more and more warnings about alcohol. You know, that for a long time, people seem to be pretty unanimous in, in believing that wine, especially red wine, in moderation was good for you. But now they're linking it to atrial fibrillation and, and other problems. Yeah, it, it looks like alcohol is a, um, you know, a complicated story. At very low levels of consumption, uh, there may be some benefits for some forms of heart disease, uh, but you know, at higher levels of consumption, we start to see some of the social problems and some of the other health problems uh, that are associated with alcohol. So for most people, if they currently don't drink alcohol, the, the best advice would be don't start. And if they do currently drink alcohol, for most people, probably the best advice is cut back because, you know, the, the potential benefits of a little bit of alcohol are, are relatively small and the, um, the potential harms from a health perspective and a social perspective of consuming too much alcohol are um, certainly uh, considerable. Talking with Dr. David Goff, Director of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Doctor, let's take a 40-year-old man or woman in, you know, maybe reasonable shape, maybe a little overweight but not obese, who's maybe not as active as they could be. Are there any signs at all just in their day-to-day life, the way they feel, um, whether after exercising or just in general or when they get up in the morning, that could be a very early precursor to some sort of a heart problem? Well, one thing we've learned is that um, it's very, very likely that that 40-year-old uh, man or woman uh, already has uh, the process of what we call atherosclerosis going on in their arteries. Uh, we used to call it hardening of the arteries. It's a, it's a buildup of cholesterol and inflammatory cells that the cholesterol attracts that begins to damage the arteries. And this process actually starts in childhood and um, adolescence. And by the time uh, we're 40 to 50 years old, uh, most of us have that in, um, somewhere in our blood vessels, whether they be the blood vessels to our heart or to our brains or other places. So even if we don't feel any signs, like shortness of breath when we're exercising or shortness of breath, climbing a flight of stairs. Um, we have, most of us have that in our bodies already. And so it's really important that even if we're not feeling any signs of, of heart disease, that we take care of ourselves, that we try to get on a better path, eating better, being more active, losing a little bit of weight if we need to, and um, getting our numbers under control with our doctor's help. A lot of people turn to uh, supplements. Uh, I mean, you can get supplements that claim to do just about anything these days for your heart. Are any of them any good? Well, I think one of the challenges with the supplements is that we don't really have good evidence to know whether any of them are any good. So uh, for the most part, we just don't know. Um, what we do know is that the medications that have been studied and approved for lowering blood pressure, for lowering cholesterol, 
and for treating uh, diabetes, that those are really, really important. And so taking supplements is no substitute for you know, knowing your numbers and, if need be, controlling them with the medications that your doctor recommends. Talking with Dr. David Goff, Director of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Just a moment or two to go. Are there any uh, exciting news on the medical front when it comes to heart health and, you know, surgeries or, or anything like that? Well, actually, there's something a, a bit simpler that I think is really exciting because all of us could benefit from this, and that is that taking care of yourself, being good to yourself and kind to yourself, turns out that's really important. We've learned from recent studies that people who practice what we call self-compassion, uh, that they're uh, their blood vessels are healthier. They're less likely to have that buildup of disease in their blood vessels that causes heart attacks and strokes. So people who manage stress in a positive way, and for many people that's meditation or it can be prayer or it can be physical activity, working it out at the gym, people who manage their stress in a positive way and are kind to themselves, they, they're healthier in their hearts. They're also healthier throughout their bodies. And that's something all of us can do that really doesn't take the kind of gee whiz technology of the latest surgery that may help a few of us. Uh, this could help all of us. And Dr. Goff, do you have a website or uh, anywhere that people can turn for more information? Well, they can come to the NHLBI website or, or the Heart Truth website, all one word, Heart Truth, uh, and get great information. Great. Uh, Dr. David Goff, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is Weight Bias. I'm worried about your weight. Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day. You're not the right fit for this job. Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight. These people often blame themselves. It's just me. Nobody likes me. I do exercise and eat right. And I talk to my doctor. Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together. Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on. 
and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Clay Gordon from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. underway for the May 3rd primary. Now we have a clearer picture of when the second primary will actually happen. The deadline the federal court gave the redistricting commission. Plus, students protested the bill. The state's largest school district denounced it. Now Columbus City Council is pushing back against House Bill 616. And we look at why Columbus police are concerned a new law will lead to an increase in stolen guns. Thanks for joining us for Face the State. I'm Clay Gordon, in for Tracy Townsend. A federal court is giving the Ohio Redistricting Commission until May 28th to come up with a new set of maps. If that fails, the court says the third set of maps, which were previously struck down by the Ohio Supreme Court, would be implemented. That would allow for a second primary to be held on August 2nd. This decision came after several people had filed a lawsuit with the federal court saying that the battle over district lines was infringing on their constitutional rights. We talked with one of those plaintiffs. In our litigation, we didn't advocate or ask the federal court to give us a specific map. We said, give us a map, give us a primary date. We want to be able to vote. You know, and this isn't a win just for Mike Onodakis and the seven plaintiffs. This is a win for all Democrats, all Republicans and all independents, because now the court said, come May 28th, if we if the state of Ohio doesn't figure it out, we will figure it out. So all Ohioans have the right to vote. The two Democrats on the commission, Senator Vernon Sykes and Representative Allison Russo, sent a letter to the commission asking for a meeting. But it takes three members to hold a meeting, so they need a Republican to join them. After the rule, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who is on the commission, stressed the court's decision and new deadline does not impact the May 3rd primary. That people should continue to cast their early ballots, and the May 3rd ballots don't have any state Senate or state House races on it. Well, so far, turnout is down for early voting in this current primary. Earlier this week, the Secretary of State told us so far 125,000 absentee ballots have been requested by mail or in person. And so far, just 40 under 45,000 votes have been cast. We compared that data collected around the same time in the 2018 primary. That year, 172,000 absentee ballots had been requested by mail or in person. And 63,000 voters had cast their ballots already. 
Ohio is getting sued over a new law passed with the last budget. Columbus City Attorney Zach Klein filed a lawsuit over the so-called Conscious Clause. The clause protects anybody who denies health care or payment for health care because it violates their conscience. That includes vaccines, birth control, blood transfusions, treatment for AIDS and HIV, and counseling or treatment for transgender people. We spoke to the city attorney about it. Legally, we believe that the Conscious Clause violates home rule. Uh, which is the ability for cities to regulate itself. It violates the Constitution single subject rule, which is what you're talking about on how laws are supposed to be made. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost responded to the lawsuit, saying the law was thoroughly vetted and passed normally. A major criminal trial came to a close. Dr. William Husel was found not guilty of 14 counts of murder. The trial itself took several weeks with more than 50 witnesses testifying. Jury deliberations took nearly a week, with the jury even saying at one point they were at an impasse. But in the end, the jury agreed with the defense, saying prosecutors did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Dr. Husel intended to kill his patients. Now, his defense attorney was happy with the verdict, while patients' families were not. It was a moment that can't put words on it. Um, it. It was, you heard, I heard the first not guilty, and I knew that there was 14. So it was an exercise in, um, you know, patience, and my heart rate continued to increase as the counts continued to increase. These people waiting to get a verdict, and if they come back and not guilty, is this what you expected? No, I wanted to say guilty as hell. When asked if he will practice medicine again, his attorney says that discussion is for a different day, but he is scheduled to appear before the state medical board in June to discuss his suspension. 10TV's Richard Solomon has perspective from a law professor and a former prosecutor on the impact of this trial in years to come. The result of the verdict in Franklin County's largest murder case. Count 14, we the jury in this case being duly impaneled, sworn by the defendant not guilty as to count 14 of the indictment for murder. Caught Rick Simmons, a law professor at Ohio State, a little off guard. I have to say I'm surprised. I thought the prosecution did a very good job presenting a, a very methodical case. Former Mount Carmel Dr. William Husel was found not guilty on all 14 counts of murder after nearly two months of trial. Prosecutors alleged Husel's doses of fentanyl and other drugs hastened the deaths of the patients. Initially on Monday, the jury told the judge they were at an impasse. Simmons says with a complex case like this, it's always going to be hard for 12 people to come to a unanimous verdict. Um, they did ask for a rereading of that reasonable doubt um, uh, instruction. And so maybe that did help uh, the jurors who were holding out for conviction on some of the counts to say, no, I think there might be reasonable doubt here and therefore I have to acquit. Former U.S. attorney for Ohio's Southern District, David DeVillers, a former prosecutor himself, says the Husel case was unique. A doctor being accused of, of knowingly, purposely killing people, that's pretty, pretty unusual. So I, I, don't rec I can't think of any case here in, in Franklin County or the Southern District of Ohio where we had something like this. While the criminal chapter of the Husel case is now closed, a civil case is looming. But for the meantime, Simmons says Husel should appreciate this small victory. Facing multiple, multiple life sentences must be something that's a huge weight on you. And so to have that lifted, it's, it's obviously a great day for him.
That was Richard Solomon reporting the deposition of Dr. Husel. The civil case will start May 9th and last one week in the criminal trial. Dr. Husel was described as a doctor that did what was best for his patients. The attorney representing his patients says he plans to prove otherwise. Ted Investigates has been following the story from the very beginning. You could read all of our coverage on this case right now if you go to 10tv.com slash 10investigates. Ohio State University President Christina Johnson gave the State of the University this week. She talked about the Intel Project, debt-free education, as well as student mental health. She did not talk about on-campus and off-campus safety and security. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio asked students their thoughts on that. As I spoke with students Thursday night about President Johnson's State of the University address. What do you think she should be talking about? Um, I definitely think that in the address she should address safety. Anything about safety. The crime on High Street. Safety was the word heard first. Buckeye Nation managed COVID-19 with spirit and resolve. But in the State of the University address, safety wasn't mentioned. Buckeyes for a Safe Ohio State is a parent group that's been very vocal about student safety. If you remember, they put up a billboard about student safety. They sent me a statement saying President Johnson clearly doesn't care about safety, given that she didn't say a word. We asked to speak with President Christina Johnson about why she chose not to mention safety in her 38-page address. We were sent a statement by a spokesperson. They say the health and safety of our university community is President Johnson's number one priority, which she has reiterated repeatedly and demonstrates consistently with her actions. President Johnson devotes a weekly address to update students, faculty, and staff on the latest safety enhancements, security information, and university resources. The statement also reiterated the university's financial commitment to safety with an additional $20 million to campus safety in the next decade, making the total budget more than $35 million a year. On and off campus, the university has added security lights, cameras at parking garages, safety rides for students, and a block watch program to help curb crime. But two students we spoke with say they still don't feel safe on or off campus. We actually did have an incident where a guy like followed me home and tried to break into our house and that was traumatizing and makes me really scared to even go to my house during the day now. A lot of people don't feel safe walking off campus anytime it's dark out. I certainly don't feel safe. I carry pepper spray with me. Graduation in early May. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. University says it is closely tracking the number of aggravated assaults as well as robberies of both places and people. They say they've been told by Columbus police that numbers are down significantly since fall of 2021. America's Teacher of the Year is representing the Buckeye State in a big way. I'm just so blessed and I work with such amazing students each and every day. Up next, we'll take you inside his classroom. A lack of substitute teachers is causing problems for schools across the state. Up next, we break down a bill that aims to fix that issue. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. The future depends on teachers. Every day, teachers are shaping our tomorrows starting their students on journeys that will change the course of history. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who will make preventing pandemics their life's work, sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who will help combat climate change. 
and generating possibilities for a student who'll be the first in their family to graduate college. It all starts with teachers who meet challenges with creativity, who reinvent education for the future, who work towards a school system that lifts up every child, regardless of race, income, or zip code, and who enable the full potential of our students, our communities, and our country. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Shape the future. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. Hey, this is Grace Gostet. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back in Ohio. Teacher just got one of the highest honors in the nation. It's the National Teacher of the Year and the 2022 Teacher of the Year. This is my drum roll. It's none other than Kurt Russell. After being voted as Ohio Teacher of the Year, Mr. Russell was then nominated on the national level. Now he holds the title. Face the state anchor Tracy Townsend talk with him this week, just a few hours after the big announcement. Kurt Russell is a history teacher at Oberlin High School. Mr. Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Let me say congratulations to you. And we are so glad you have time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate the warm wishes. Thank you so much. So let's get right into it. As Ohio Teacher of the Year, did you think you'd end up on this national stage on CBS This Morning? Absolutely not. Um, Honestly, I did not even believe I would become Ohio Teacher of the Year, so let alone National Teacher of the Year. But I'm just so blessed, and I work with such amazing students each and every day. And I'd just like to spread the message of love and respect to all teachers out there. So when we talked with you in February, you shared that it really is your mission to create an opportunity for students in the classroom, in the curriculum. How do you do that in a history class. Well, I think, first of all, um, you have to be intentional. And so I try to provide courses that students see themselves in. Um, Diversity within curriculum is so important because students are more engaged when they see themselves. And so creating new courses such as African-American history class, race, gender, and oppression class, um, black music in the African diaspora are courses that students could relate to. And I try to do that you know, every other year or so to create new courses so students can see themselves. And so, you know, those classes, I remember, I may be dating myself, taking classes like that in college. And now there's so much focus on history and diversity, and we're hearing the criticism for things like CRT. Can you address how what you are doing is education, not necessarily CRT? Yes. Even with CRT, I do not teach CRT. Uh, What I'm trying to do is to normalize 
the learning for all students and to make sure that all students, as I said previously, will see themselves in the curriculum. So making sure that women see themselves in the curriculum, making sure that African-Americans see themselves in the curriculum, making sure that the LGBTQ plus community see themselves in the curriculum. And that's key for me. And so now that you've been recognized really on this national level, will this influence your priorities in the classroom? Uh, no, I'm a teacher, and so students come first. And so what I would like to do is continue that message of spreading knowledge and making sure that students feel welcome in my classroom mm -hmm. just on a national stage. And so if I have the opportunity to, to travel and to send that message, um, I'll be very grateful to do so. And your students really share that you inspire them to confront the uncomfortable, that you command respect, and that everyone can have input. Um, how do you pay that forward? You have talked about teachers who've influenced you. How do you pay that forward? Well, I pay for it by just creating a classroom that is safe, um, a classroom that um, represents all students. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. So the key to education is making sure that students feel comfortable, making sure that students feel safe. And that's how I spread that message of the holistic learning of students. There was one student who said he wishes everyone could have a conversation with you. We're so glad that we got to have that conversation. Probably too old for your class, but congratulations again. You're really a great teacher. We're excited <laughs> for you. Well, I really appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for having me on this morning. And that was Tracy Townsend with that interview and conversation. School teachers have been at the forefront throughout the pandemic, but some experts say our state is still having trouble finding enough educators. That's why Representative Adam Byrd is sponsoring a bill that would make it easier for people to become a substitute teacher. Now, we should note a bill was passed during the height of the pandemic, which allowed people to become subs without a bachelor's degree. However, that law is set to expire. But Representative Byrd says the shortage is not over. It's why he's sponsoring House Bill 583. And or, or, you know, sometimes we've seen situations in Ohio where the P.E. teacher, uh, the music teacher, the art teacher, might, those classes might have to be canceled for the day so that those teachers can go sub in math or reading. And so when you allow a school and give them flexibility to bring in somebody else that might not have a bachelor's degree, that helps keep the school open and, and, and you don't have to cancel school. You know, you don't have to go to remote. And, and so what this bill does is continue for another two years, what we've had for the past two years. Now, essentially, House Bill 583 would give Ohio schools the ability to create their own rules when it comes to substitute teacher requirements. For example, eliminating the need for a four-year degree. Representative Byrd also noted he and other lawmakers in Ohio are working to pass a bill that would make it easier for former teachers to come back to the profession. Both bills are in an effort to deal with our state's shortage of teachers. There is also a new push from Senate leaders to make sure all kids have access to pre-kindergarten. Right now, parents in Ohio are responsible for finding and paying for their kids' pre-K. But Senator Herschel Craig is working to bring more money to our state that would make the schooling free. He says it will not only impact the extra burden for low-income families, but even the playing field, leveling it for all younger Ohioans. Not only low-income families, certainly that is critical for all of our children. Um, but, you know, uh, there's a, uh, the economic uh, importance of this issue uh, involves all of our families uh, with uh, 
you know, with COVID and what has occurred, uh, there are families that um, that have been affected um, throughout our state, uh, and some of those parents, uh, because of uh, some of the issues of the workforce issues, uh, are, have not returned to work, and so uh, you know uh, that impacts our economy uh, because they're needing to be um, uh, with with uh, with our children. And so there is a very real economic impact. Um, it is not just a question of being, we believe it's the right thing to do. There certainly is uh, this uh, imperative, this uh, economic imperative uh, that affects our state as well. The universal pre-K funding would kick in as soon as the Build Back Better plan is passed by the U.S. Congress. 10TV asked Craig how Ohio lawmakers plan to address the issue if the funding is not cleared. He told us they would still need to work to make pre-kindergarten more accessible by using already available state funding. The city of Columbus responding to controversial House Bill 616. It's a bill that would impact how your kids learn about race, gender, and sexuality in the classroom. Well, City Council President Shannon Harden laid out the group's resolution in opposition to the bill. The main goal was to urge the General Assembly to defeat the bill. House Bill 616 restricts educational materials and discussions on diversity, equity, and inclusion, while also limiting educational content on gender identity and sexual orientation. Legislation like HB 616 threatens to damage Ohio's brand, repelling prospective companies, employees, and current residents, limiting economic prospect. This bill is a solution in search of a problem and that it appears to establish restrictions on institutional practices that currently do not exist in the state of Ohio. The bill proposed is an assault on teachers and would subject local school districts to frivolous lawsuits, removing resources from the classroom to pay for endless legal battles. This bill does not represent the values of Columbus, Franklin County, or the state of Ohio. So be it resolved by the Council of the City of Columbus that the Columbus City Council hereby expresses its strong disapproval of House Bill 616 as a proposal that only advances principles of discrimination and inequality and in, the, in that the Ohio General Assembly should defeat this proposed bill and should ensure that the state legislator does not make any future attempts to constrain or censor education on diversity, equity, and inclusion gender identity or sexual orientation. Columbus City School administrators have also responded to the bill. They say they stand united in opposition to the shameful and divisive legislation, while supporters say the topics have no place inside the classroom. There is support for the legislation. One of its sponsors says that it will protect education. In a news release, State Representative Mike Lojcik said, quote, the classroom is a place to seek answers for our children without political activism. Parents deserve and should be provided a say in what is taught to their children in schools. There's been a recent increase in stolen guns in Columbus. All of these guns were recovered by police. Coming up next, why detectives are concerned a new law could make the problem even worse.
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening. You've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You have to carefully monitor your health for the rest of your life. And you have an increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Cut. Take two. Action. You've been diagnosed with a new purpose. To fight for the amazing life you've made for yourself. To look that risk of heart disease square in the face and say, no, not me. You've been given a new opportunity to live. Get started at NoDiabetesByHeart.org. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all. And a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir. Or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit heart.org slash sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor because that's a really important job. I would hope kids get better and make everything super fun. I'd have a cool waiting room with games, toys, and a huge TV. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a serious defect of the immune system. Early testing gives children a chance to dream. And I'll give every kid a cherry lollipop because that's the best Jeffrey Modell Foundation, helping children reach for their dreams. Visit info4pi.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Columbus police are calling it an alarming trend. Gun owners leaving loaded guns unlocked in their cars only to have them stolen. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains why police are even more worried about these crimes because of a new Ohio law that takes effect next month. All it takes is one unlocked car with a gun inside for a criminal to instantly be armed. We're absolutely alarmed by the amount of guns that are taken from cars that are parked and unoccupied. Nearly every night this month, someone in Columbus had a gun stolen from their car. Police reports show most of the guns stolen were loaded. 10TV searched Columbus police reports just this month and found 25 people reported their guns stolen from their cars. And those who knew how the crooks got in said their cars were unlocked. If you leave your gun in a car, whether it's locked or not, and your car is broken into and taken, that you have contributed to the possibility of a criminal going out and committing a heinous act against someone else in the city of Columbus. This one, you mount this to your car? Eric Dulbert is a licensed Columbus firearms dealer. He says every gun owner should own a lockbox for their weapon. We're talking about a burden on society that you have added to by allowing your firearm to be out there in the possession of a felon. I 
guarantee you the guys stealing it aren't ones who can go to a gun store and buy one. Adding to his concerns about stolen firearms is Ohio's new permitless carry law, which starts next month. Delbert expects thefts to increase, and so do police, as more people will soon be able to buy a weapon without training. I would anticipate it because, again, it's new people carrying a firearm for the first time in that capacity. We're absolutely concerned because the fact that we won't have a requirement to have a license to carry a firearm in the state of Ohio anymore will absolutely increase the amount of firearms that people will carry at the ready, whether it's in their car or on their person. So the potential for a firearm to be stolen is most certainly going to increase. A crime police say that can be prevented with a $40 steel box. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Now, police say if you don't have a lockbox, put your gun in your trunk and never leave it underneath your seat. The Ohio Attorney General's Office created the Ohio Stolen Gun Database, which allows anyone to search by serial number if the gun you've purchased is stolen. Now, according to the AG's office, the website has had about 6,000 page views this year alone, an indication that people are actually doing their research. Well, thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio. We're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Clay Gordon, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me, we talk to him about once a month or so. It's Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. How you doing, Dwayne? Hey, uh, by the way, happy uh, Grandfather Day for you. Thank you. Thank you. It's not Grandfather Day today, but it is for me because I've just had my first grandchild. So I am thrilled. I'm beside myself. I don't even know what to do with myself. I don't even know why I'm even talking to people. I just... <laughs> Free hugs for everyone, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, that can get you punched or, you know, in jail. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Tell us uh, about directions for youth and families. school begins to wind down here in another, what, month or so. Uh, How does that change your agency? Probably about two weeks after school closes. 
kind of important, I guess, to keep some sort of routine or busyness involved with these kids once they're out of class. Yeah, and, you know, in our programs, too, uh, we have a program stride that does uh, math and uh, reading. Um, and our kids do that year-round. So, uh, you know, a lot of our kids, they really can't afford to get behind. Um, the past couple of years have been a struggle. I mean, we were a learning exchange center for Columbus City Schools. Um, we continue. We have two computer labs, actually three computer labs, where we do homework help and, and tutoring um, and program stride, which everyone just um, does every day they come to the center just to keep those skills sharp. Outstanding. Uh, whenever we talk to Dwayne, we usually tackle some other topic, and we've already indicated what it's going to be about. Uh, boundaries, personal boundaries that people yeah, set. Yeah, you know, everybody, everybody's, you know, just like most things, you know, things operate on a continuum. And uh, some people have uh, very rigid boundaries. Um, uh, some people could use some rigidness to their boundaries because they're too open or porous. Um, and then, you know, you really want to balance there. You want to have a healthy uh, boundaries. But regardless of that, you're always going to run into other people who have different boundaries, and you have to respect that. And, and there's not like rules. We're not wearing place cards of saying, hey, I don't, I'm not a hugger, uh, or things like that. We've all been in situations where either someone's hugged you and it caught you unexpectedly. I remember one time that happened to me, and I almost felt like I was a cartoon character. You know how, um, like, their arms are flailing? <laughs> like, you know, they're not, I couldn't hug back because I just, it caught me off guard. And I just thought, well, this is, um, this is uncomfortable. And it just caught me off guard. So uh, these things happen all the time to all of us. I can remember back when I was in my 20s uh, at one of the first radio stations I worked at, there was an employee there who was probably maybe 15 years older than me who had a habit of anytime they were standing behind somebody that was sitting down, they would just kind of give them like a a neck rub or, you know, like massage their shoulders. Completely innocent, but just, it, it was just really unsettling whenever it happened to me. I was just like, you know, don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, when I hear something like that, it almost, it feels creepy to me, but to other people it may not. You know, it just, and coming from me, and I am a person who is a hugger, um, but I don't do it with people I don't know. Um, I also, um, and I also don't uh, particularly like it when people I don't know hug me or touch me it's um because i don't know you it's uh, uh so you know it's and i am a hugger to the people who i do know it's a uh, um just one of those balances that i think um all of us should look at at some point and you determine your boundaries you shouldn't let others determine that for you um that is your choice and uh, no one should be able to take that from you and it also can even involve not touching somebody just getting too close to you yeah you know it, there's, there's to this about people with rigid you know boundaries they um it goes beyond uh, uh just uh hugging they avoid intimacy or close relations totally um they usually don't ask for help they have few close relationships um so th- that's a, a a little bit different to keep people at a distance um um somewhat it, whenever they feel like any anxiety or fear they're going to withdraw um and pull away from people and that may be too rigid to um, have a supportive uh, uh, network of people who are around you and help you and um, so that's at one extreme you know on the other extreme um, you have people who like if you meet somebody and they share all this personal information with you um, I remember being somewhere one time and, and somebody shared something who I just met very personal about themselves and I have to tell you it made me feel uncomfortable that they did not have the boundaries to share something like that with somebody who they had never met. And it really made me feel uncomfortable. So those people have a tendency to be more 
dependent on other people. Um, they also put themselves more at risk of abuse um, or being disrespected by people, all because they just fear being rejected um, if they don't go along with what the other person wants. So, um, so because of that, they just, in a sense, don't have boundaries, which is not healthy. Trying to tamp down, though, the way that you act, especially if you came from, say, a big, loud family, you know, and grew up around that your whole life, uh, and you transitioned into the adult work world, that might be hard to tamp down. Yeah, it is. Um, um, but, you know, we all modify our behaviors in different environments, and we even do that as children. Um, you know, at your house, if you, uh, at my house at, uh, back in the day, if you were jumping on the couch, you're going to get a switch to your leg. Uh, <laughs> but we had a, a buddy's house, so you're allowed to jump on the couch. So, um, you know, we, you can really uh, compartmentalize these things into certain categories. And children can do it. Adults can do it as well. Switch is such a great word, too. Do they still use that these days? Do the kids still get switched or or, or fear the switch? Oh, no. Hey, in my street, it didn't have to just be your parents. Your neighbors could do it, too. I remember running away from someone. <laughs> I live in a concrete jungle, so there's no switches available. But in the, let's talk then, Dwayne, about in the, uh, in the workplace, because obviously the rules okay. are much, yep. much different there than, say, uh-huh. you know, a family reunion or somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that that you really have to look at the setting of some of these things, too. So just because somebody has, um, for instance, you you really can be a mix, and I think healthy people probably are a mix. Usually at work, you're going to have more healthy boundaries, or you should. Um, uh, In romantic relationships, they may be a bit more porous because you're letting that person in more. Um, So you really can mix these things up. In families, it all depends. Some of them have very, very loose boundaries with some family members and extremely rigid boundaries with other family members. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it, it's good to have a balance of all of these things. What ends up happening in any behavior, not just boundaries, is when you get into the extreme, and that is your response to all scenarios and all situations. Um, because we play so many different roles, you have to be able to be fluid and flexible with how uh, you inter- interact with your external environment. I recall seeing that there's uh, there's one host, I can't remember which one it is, but one of the hosts of a late-night talk show who says anytime he even has a photograph taken with a group of people, he puts his arms up in the air, not around somebody's shoulder, but like up in the air, almost like a surrender mode, because oh, really? he wants it to be clear that he's not touching anybody while the photo is being taken. Yeah, yeah, that, that, well... That's interesting, and that's unfortunate, I think, in a sense. Um, but, we, you know, we live at a time where um, anything can be made of many different things. So um, the, the biggest thing is you just need to respect not only you having your own boundaries and you're entitled to that, but respect other people's boundaries, too. It really just does come down to that. You know, at work, you know, many work environments are a bit different around boundaries. You know, some people, um, you know, celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and, and um, uh, you know, just whatever. And uh, uh, other workplaces say, ah, no, we don't even want you bringing in your kids' Girl Scout cookie thing because um, that's a boundary around that. You know, that's personal. We want to keep this professional. So even work environments um, really uh, um, fall on continuums, whether you're going to. Settlement houses are a perfect example in the uh, um, human service field. Settlement houses were always had a more personal relationship um, uh, with the people that they serve, uh, where it was a bit more, uh, um, or probably understood that it's going to be a little bit more um, rigid if you're going to go to a uh, mental health facility for uh, psychological therapy. 
Talking with Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. Uh, we don't need to dwell on this because we've talked about it in the past, but I do want to bring it up. Uh, being an agency where you deal with, uh, where you, you have a lot of counselors and therapists, this is an issue that you uh, that's very important to you when it comes to how your employees engage with their clients. Yeah, boundaries are critical um, in, in a therapeutic relationship, and we, um, we, we hit it every year. When you come to work here in orientation, you're going to get a section of boundaries. Um, we're going to have trainings throughout the year that talk about boundaries. But you have to understand that the boundaries um, in a therapeutic role, it's not only to protect the worker, but it's also to protect the client. Um, sometimes some kids don't know what good, healthy boundaries are, and that's why they end up putting themselves at risk again of um, uh, further, for example, abuse. Abuse kids um, like touch, even if it's negative touch. It's because they really haven't learned that in a healthy way. So then they don't have boundaries. They're going to go up and hug somebody else, and, and that can put someone at risk. Um, whereas other people, you remember the whole thing, like, don't talk to strangers. Um, you know, that may be a little bit more on the rigid side, but it's also on a side that says, um, hey, keep yourself safe, um, and, and don't put yourself at risk with other people. And even uh, things like gifts from, uh, if a little kid, uh, you know, makes a drawing for their therapist or something like that is, are things that are a little bit of a red flag, right? Well, you know, it, particularly this becomes a difficult challenge for us um, in, in the field, particularly with younger kids, because they don't necessarily understand. If you give somebody a, a gift and they say they can't accept it, because you really can't, um, uh, if you're a licensed therapist, um, they're going to feel that as rejection. Uh, we kind of work around that. You know, our kids, if they're going to do something, if they draw a picture, um, you don't have to say, oh, sorry, can't take that. Here, take it back. Um, what, there's many things you can do in between. It's not, you know, black and white, like either do it or you don't. So what we uh, encourage um, our workers or teach them to do is to reframe it and say, you know, thank you so much. There's a place in our office where we hang up all the pictures um, that we end up getting from people like you. So thank you. That's going to be a great addition to our wall. That way they don't think you're taking it home and it's hanging on their refrigerator and they're thinking about it every day. I mean, it, it's there, there are tactful ways that you can go about these things where you're not going to be detrimental to the therapeutic alliance. That's, that's really interesting, though, because it, it is, uh, especially for a, for a small child like that, can be a very intimate moment for them, and, and it is really important how it's handled. And you have to understand, when we get kids, a lot of them, we're getting them in crisis or in high need. Um, so there's going to be some adoration sometimes if you start making things better for them. Um, we have to keep the focus on they're the ones doing the work, not us. We're assisting them, but they're the ones doing the work. They're the ones responsible for the change process, and they get all the accolades and celebration um, when they start to move forward and start to improve in things. As long as you keep that focus on them, um, you're going to preserve those boundaries. Is that something that is uh, surprising to new people coming in to work for your agency, or, or are they pretty well-schooled in that beforehand? No, typically they're not, because um, at universities and colleges, if you're going through a social worker counseling degree, um, boundaries are certainly, it's required that you have a class on, like, values, beliefs, and boundaries, uh, because it's not about you, it's about them. It's not about you imparting your belief system or your values and clients. It's about assisting them and their exploration of developing um, health, healthy values, beliefs, and boundaries. So the problem ends up coming is that 
some organizations or maybe some programs blur those boundaries. So our challenge more is from when somebody comes from an environment where they did not uphold those boundaries, you know, firmly, um, like accepting gifts from clients. I remember talking to one organization once and they said, yeah, uh, we let our clients, our, our workers accept gifts as long as it's under $50. Um, boy, I, that, I stopped breathing. <laughs> First off, I thought, okay. Um, this is a violation of the code of ethics. Um, um, but beyond that, boy, who, who chose 50? Right. Uh, this is a, um, so that, that becomes a challenge. I, we, it, it becomes really difficult. You can be proactive sometimes. It, it, you know, a lot of people who are celebrating Christmas and they're so grateful for uh, a family or a worker helping them, they want to buy them a gift for Christmas. It's things like that. Um, and so we, what we typically do in those scenarios, particularly if they bring it up or something comes up, we say, ah, we're not capable of doing that, but if you want, we can donate something to, like, you know, an organization that could use that, um, uh, things like that. We had a new worker one time who, um, he was male, and he came back, he goes, look uh, at this blanket that my client knitted for my wife since she's, because um, his wife was expecting. At first I thought, okay, how did your client know your wife is expecting? Why did that become a part of the conversation in the first place? I, we had to back all the way back up and talk about just where the focus needs to be. Um, uh, but that happens with new people. I mean, you have to learn. Talking with Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. And then lastly here, uh, part of that, the boundaries too, could be more of a mental thing. If you've got a, a kid who is really reserved and uh and you know shy not outgoing at all maybe bringing them out of that shell is at least a little bit is important to getting to know what's making them tick or not tick oh yeah it certainly is now you you don't want people to be dependent but you want them to be able to have intimate relationships with other people and that's critical to have that because when we talk about having a supportive uh network around you well that requires you to interact with other people and have relationships with them and have the comfort with them so that you have the ability to ask for help and assistance when you need it. Um, so, you know, working towards those types of engagement skills, which are very healthy um, and interacting with, with somebody else in, in your external environment, um, those are critical. Um, it's easier to start that with family members because uh, um, that, that's where some relationships are already established as long as it's already a healthy relationship and a healthy family member. And that's, but that's also one of those kind of complicated issues that can help to open up trust and, and a, a kind of a bond between a child and a therapist where the therapist needs to watch their step, I guess. Yeah, that's why when we talk about developing a, a therapeutic relationship, we don't just say developing a relationship. We, it's therapeutic because there have to be parameters around that so that it falls within a healthy category. Um, and that's important. Particularly because we cannot expect the people we serve to be the ones setting boundaries. They won't. Um, um, but they're not going to be the ones that set the boundaries, particularly those who uh, want you to rescue them or, or uh, you know, to fix the whole thing. Um, that's just not a really healthy process about it. Uh, so um, it's always about them. It's always about their work. And it's always about us exploring options with them and letting them choose um, the direction of their life. Dwayne Kassar, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. Uh, there's a little girl out there who has you as their grandpa. Yes, she does, <laughs> and uh, I just can't wait to hold her. Honestly, I cannot. Oh, I don't know how 
<laughs> well, congratulations. It's, uh, it's awesome. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. If uh, folks want more info about Directions for Youth and Families, how do they find it? Uh, they can check us out on the uh, um, Internet. I, can't, I don't even know what it is. www.dfyf.org or they can call our intake department, 614-294-2661. All righty. Thanks, Dwayne. All right. Great. Thanks, Dave. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.